I'm Jared, and welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then have a seat with an open mind and a full cup as I examine reality through the blurry lens of my own individual perspective. Have a sip while I talk about contactless. As a society, we have went from having information at our fingertips to having transactions occurring just beyond them. And isn't it quite remarkable how society has so effortlessly become so contactless? Hey Steeps, welcome back to another episode of A Cup of Tea. Today I did want to talk about a new series of technologies which has really changed our lives drastically and in in most parts for the better right and that is contactless technologies technologies that really were on their way to begin with but were only accelerated due to the onset of course of the COVID-19 pandemic just a few short years ago so I wanted to really you know walk through how contactless technology has evolved you know when doing a comparison from before the pandemic to essentially now once the pandemic had hit and as things kind of stabilize and we get into this new normal right like contactless has changed everything and it was leaned on heavily from the onset of the pandemic primarily because well i mean when there's a deadly pandemic spreading across the globe you're trying to be as germ conscious as possible What's the best way to minimize exposure to such a virus and to minimize its spread and contain it and to flatten the curve? Well, social distancing, wearing masks, but also not trying to make contact with other people or surfaces other people may have touched in public, right? So that's something that became a huge emphasis. And we saw that through the advent of new contactless technologies. The first one that probably comes to everyone's mind is contactless cards. Now, I will say, real quick, RIP to the chip, because (laughs) the chip was just very short-lived. I think for as long as we remember, right, at least if you're, you know, older than, like, high school age right now, you you remember a time where just about every, I don't know if I'm dating myself now by saying this, but just about every card had a magnetic strip, and that magnetic strip contained the information to make the transaction at the point of sale, right? And that it wasn't the most secure method, obviously. There's there's reasons behind that that I won't go into, but it worked for a very long time. As long as you're able to avoid skimmers, like say the gas pump or obviously not have somebody take down your credit card number while you're using it you're able to keep that information secure keep your pen secure it was relatively secure secure enough that billions of people used it for many years right but then we transition into the beginning of the 2010s and you started to see a lot more momentum towards this uh, chip technology and the chip really didn't start to get rolled out i remember until like the mid to late 2010s In fact, I think 2019 was the first time I ever remember seeing a chip reader at a gas pump. And it was just amazing. My mind was blown because my whole life I had been using, you know, the swipe method. And here we have the chip reader finally. But why I say RAP is because it seems like as soon as chip became mainstream and all your new cards were coming in with the chip, all of a sudden now contactless just took over. And... I think contactless was something that would have been rolled out eventually. It was a technology that was in progress, but at the same time, like obviously when you have a, like I said, when you have a pandemic and you're trying to not touch surfaces as much as possible, it really helps having that contactless technology. So having a card that you could just tap, a point of sale, like, I mean, now there's a few different methods, right? Now you literally have like the contactless card, which you can just quickly tap on the point of sale and it will register right and it will do that secure transaction right then and there whereas with the chip yes the chip was safer than the magnetic strip but you had to literally stick it into the point of sale and you had to wait like maybe 10 seconds 
at most, maybe like five to ten seconds. And then it would literally start to go burp, burp, burp if you didn't take it out immediately, like as soon as it was done. Like once the point of sale tells you remove your card, if you didn't remove it like that millisecond, it just starts beeping at you, right? So it took a little bit longer. So basically it's like contactless. Not only do you not have to stick your card in the point of sale, which is a breeding ground for germs compared to a tap, a quick tap, you know, you think about how quick the transaction happens. Like you tap, you could put it back in your wallet. It it goes bloop, and it's done, right? Like that's pretty much the beauty of a contactless card. And then you have other contactless payment methods too that are just as well known. Like if you look at Apple Wallet, Samsung, Google, like all these different you know technology corporations have really gotten the game with this contactless tech. Now you can use wearable devices or even your you know, pocket devices like your phone or your smartwatch, and you can literally pay at any kiosk using those devices, and it's beautiful. Those, you don't even have to touch the point of sale. You just kind of hover it over, and it just it, it picks up on it with the same kind of near-field technology. It's, it's really a truly beautiful thing to watch unfold, and it, it just makes things so much easier, right? So much more convenient to have a contactless card where it's a, it's a quick touch, it's a quick transaction, it's secure, or you kind of have all of your cards and things on your phone, right? Or your watch. So all good stuff. And then you have other contactless technologies that we'll kind of get into more detail with later, you know, that were necessitated by the pandemic, like telehealth, remote care visits, Zoom for like corporations and conducting business. Technology really accelerated during the pandemic and i think it was because it was definitely a push factor just given the fact that i think i've talked about it extensively on this podcast before steeps how when covid hit when covid landed everything just shut down for the most part the the normal way of life stopped and it wasn't a gradual stop it was a screeching halt and that sent shockwaves rippling through the economies of the world, right? Through the supply chains of the world. We're still feeling the ramifications of that today. Granted, there is some light at the end of the tunnel that we will get to, but it's going to take a long time to really heal from the wounds of this pandemic. But I mean, yeah, so you you take that shock and you inject it into our economy, our global economy, and you see from that point, like you realize why we had to adapt these contactless technologies so quickly. Because suddenly everybody was fearing this virus. They were they were fearing for themselves, for their families, their safety. They wanted to feel safe. And I think in 2020, like that was the one consistent theme across most people is that people just had this overwhelming urge to fulfill that very base soul psychological need. And I, I could go on a whole tangent about the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and everything, but, you know, there is that base soul need of safety and security. It's, it's one of our most foundational needs as human beings. And we were rocked to our core during the pandemic. Our whole lives were shattered as we knew them, and, and we just wanted to be safe. So what did we have to do to make us safe? Well, we had to think on the fly. We had to adapt all kinds of new ways of doing business, whether it be with our jobs, whether it be consumerism, seeing people like loved ones, friends, and we had to adjust and adapt overnight. So that's what was really a key driver to really moving this contactless technology forward. COVID-19 disrupted global economies and supply chains as I mentioned. The pandemic has also accelerated digital and contactless technology development implementation as a result. Ladies and gentlemen, we have entered the contactless age. And I know that, of course, like, there's been talk about, are we transitioning essentially from the industrial era to the information era, where like, information is at our fingertips. The internet grows in scale pretty rapidly like every year the the internet contains so much more information and raw data than it did the year before and it's only going to continue getting larger new technologies utilizing it are only going to get more developed and continue to integrate in our society in new and interesting ways but i think it's fair to say too that you know, within that information era, we're also entering a contactless era where we are going to start to see more technologies that are 
health conscious that are really seeking to remove the physical touch as much as possible. I mean, we've kind of seen that already to some degree, even well before the pandemic. I mean, think about self-checkout steeps. Like self-checkout wasn't a mainstream thing until the 2010s. Like before that, like good luck going to a store not interacting with a single human being because at the very least you could grab all your things but at the end of the day you still had to go to the checkout counter and get rung up by a cashier nowadays you can literally walk into a store and not interact with a single human being in fact there's some stores literally in japan where you could walk in and walk out without interacting with anybody without anybody else being in the store and the technology can literally detect what items you got, how much they are, and charge you automatically. And there's even, I think, an Amazon concept like this as well in Seattle. Very interesting concept for a store, obviously. I mean, it kind of discourages shoplifting if you think about it, because if the technology is like very accurate at detecting what you have and making sure that you can't enter without being identified and being billed, like, how are you going to steal anything, right? It's literally impossible. Like, you you would have to, like, break into the facility not using the main entrance, and it just, it causes a whole bunch of other problems. You can't just run in, grab something, run out and beat security, right? That just doesn't work anymore. But I think at the end of the day, what we are seeing is that, you know, there was already contactless technology being developed, but the pandemic has really pushed us. We are entering that contactless age, and there is really the supply and demand levers to this. You know, what really drives a lot of development, especially in a capitalistic society like the United States and a lot of other Western countries in the world, is that supply and demand. It's a free market, essentially, right? So if the consumers are demanding it, there's going to be a supply that must be met. And we're kind of seeing that with the contactless technology. Once the pandemic hit and everybody started to crave these contactless measures like curbside pickup, contactless payment methods, telehealth, Zoom for working from home. That was the increase in demand and it sharply increased. Like I think you have to recall like when the pandemic first set in, I remember Zoom stock skyrocketed. Like it like nobody could have predicted this outside of something like the COVID-19 pandemic, right? So once there's that sharp increase in demand, organizations knew that they had to meet the supply. And that is what they've been doing. They've been steadily ramping up, leveraging existing technologies, and building the infrastructure to do this. But like I said, it, it was in development even before the pandemic. We were seeing contactless technologies being rolled out in some of these different areas. So it's, it's not like it... it it's not like all the contactless technology waited until the pandemic came to be rolled out. Similar to how with the vaccine for COVID-19, I think a lot of misinformation is spread about the vaccine because people assume that this mRNA technology that's used in the COVID vaccine is like this brand new thing that just somehow was developed from scratch as soon as the pandemic hit to serve some nefarious purpose, right? Well, I hate to inform you, but that mRNA technology had been in development for decades <laughs> leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic. This was one of the first instances where we could truly leverage that technology and bring it to market, right? Because we were already close to doing that, but it just, it was a synergy. It made sense. You know, we had reached a point with the technology where we were confident in its rollout with the public. We had, you know, developed the appropriate tools to distribute it, to store it, to implement it. And on top of that, there was a need, there was a demand for COVID vaccines. And we had to leverage that new technology because the traditional way of making vaccines was going to take too long and it wasn't going to provide the level of efficacy that we needed at the time that we needed it, right? So I think those are all considerable factors for the vaccine, just like there were considerable factors driving contactless technologies. Now, what I wanted to do with this episode is I wanted to look at contactless technology prevalence and the increase in that prevalence from, again, from before the pandemic to during the pandemic and speculate on where that is going to go in the future as we enter this gray area of post-pandemic new normalness, right? And I want to look at it through two different lenses. So one is, of course, I want to look at the payment side and I want to look at the telehealth side specifically. 
if this episode gains a lot of traction, you all want to see me do a follow-up on it, I can explore more contactless methods in the future. And of course, at the end of the episode, I'll kind of speculate on, on some other things with where this, where I think this all may be heading, um, just based on the science and the trends and everything like that. So for both aspects that I'm looking at, I am going to look at some studies, some scientific studies that have been conducted on contactless technologies and look at the raw data behind it and what those trends are suggesting from before the pandemic to during the pandemic and use that to frame the context of how contactless technology has rapidly developed and why it's going to be sticking around for quite some time with us. So the first study is titled Explaining an Adoption in Continuous Intention to Use Contactless Payment Technologies During the COVID-19 Pandemic. E even though there were some limitations with the study, I thought it was very interesting. Some of the notable limitations is the primary study was limited to Thailand geographically, so it wasn't like a global study or anything like that. There are some statistics from other countries like the United States and Germany, but the bulk of the study did focus on subjects within Thailand. And it unfortunately does not demonstrate any change over time because really what it's looking at is it's looking at the time the study was conducted. So obviously, I think, and, and that's a theme you'll notice, Steeps, for both of these studies that I looked at, is that there has not been enough time since the pandemic started to really do a compare and contrast. Like, it's only been two years since COVID-19 hit the scene. It's not nearly been enough time to do another study and continue to compare over time, like, okay, how is it changing? Because we're still kind of exiting the pandemic state of mind for the most part, but then other ways we still are in the pandemic. So it's just like, there's not been enough time and there's not enough data at this point in time to really suggest if that trend is showing any signs of changing. But you can definitely compare from before the pandemic to during the pandemic and see just how much things have changed. And also, again, the one interesting thing about this first study that I'm highlighting is that it's looking at people's perceptions of the contactless technology and how those perceptions are actually influencing the behavior of using said contactless technologies, which is really interesting. And I think from a psychological standpoint, I was really drawn to this study. And again, there's also some good statistics in here about the adoption of the contactless payments. So first up, the main study did utilize 142 subjects in total, but there's some additional statistics that were highlighted in this study that I do think are worthwhile to mention. The first is that 30% of people in the US had started to utilize contactless payment technology since the pandemic had first started. 70% of those users, so 70% of the 30% are likely to continue usage of the contactless technology. So roughly steeps, if you do the math, that translates to about 21% of people who did not use contactless technology previously in the US said that they would likely continue using the contactless technology even after the pandemic is over, whereas 9% will likely go back to what they had before. One thing to keep in mind, however, though, is that technology is progressive and does tend to have a push factor. So let's look at this in the context of like checks, for instance. Checks used to be very prevalent. Checks, cash, and then card was kind of that third option, but it wasn't really super mainstream decades ago, right? People kind of used those different payment methods interchangeably. As time went on, cards became more and more prevalent Cash always stayed prevalent, mainly because it's it's legal tender, right? Like you can't, you know, until that whole system is overhauled, people are always going to be using physical cash. And, you know, I think we've talked about before, like with crypto and things that the infrastructure isn't necessarily in place yet, the adoption's not there. So until that is, physical currency will continue to be used. But checks kind of fell out of favor. And I remember not too long ago, like in the past decade, checks actually pretty much stopped being accepted at a lot of retailers. And the reason is, again, because of the increased prevalence of credit cards, debit cards, and these other payment technologies. So I do think that there is a push factor to where once every card is contactless, 
you know, you could see things like the strip or the chip being phased out, although that would probably take a long time. It's not going to be anytime soon. But as technology continues to evolve, things get phased out. And you could be a legacy user, but if it's not adopted anywhere, who's going, like, you can't really use it. You're literally being pushed to use something else, right? But yeah, so it would be a push factor because, of course, your old payment method would literally not be utilized anymore. I mean, think about it also steeps in the context of media. Like, do you have the access to watch analog TV anymore? Can you just walk into just about any store, retailer, and find a VHS tape? Like, these are technologies that at one point were widely adopted and widely utilized, but their popularity fell out, essentially, because of a new technology. And with the lack of acceptance of the old technology, people had to pretty much adopt new technologies to kind of fill that void and fill that gap, right? So very interesting stuff. Also, contactless payment utilization in Germany went from 35% to 50% due to the pandemic as well. And in China, e-wallet purchases were 23% higher than cash purchases as a result of the pandemic. So you are seeing, again, more adoption across different countries and cultures around the globe pushing towards this contactless technology. We've looked at the Americas, we've looked at Europe, we've looked at Asia. Those are three different countries with three different statistics that all point towards increased adoption of contactless technology since the pandemic. One thing that has really been driving the contactless payment technology adoption is the perceived risk of COVID-19 infection, which the study cites as a push factor. Because again, if people are not wanting to get sick, they're not wanting to touch as many physical surfaces that other people have touched them may have COVID, you're going to be more inclined to adopt or utilize contactless technologies that would make you feel safe. Again, whether or not contactless technology truly always keeps you safe in the long run, I think that that is a whole nother study. Um, I think that there is some common sense behind it keeping you safer, but of course there still is minimal exposure especially if you're physically tapping your card to the pos system the point of sale so i think that there is that consideration as well but generally when people perceive that there is very likely to be a perceived health benefit from something like switching over to a contactless payment technology we've seen firsthand in the study how much that can be a push factor to get a good proportion of people to adopt that contactless technology this study proposes what is known as an integrated expectation, confirmation, and health belief model to explain the adoption and continued use of contactless technology. So let me break this down into a few different components. So first of all, what is an expectation confirmation theory? Well, it has four different pillars, confirmation, perceived usefulness, satisfaction, and continuance usage intention. So the expectation confirmation theory is a cognitive theory that is grounded in those four pillars I just highlighted, and let me break them down one by one. So confirmation is essentially like a consumer having their needs met by a product or technology. So they're confirming that, okay, my expectations are in line with reality here. Perceived usefulness is as it states, um, how one perceives how valuable the technology or product actually is to their lives. Satisfaction is another pretty straightforward one as well. How satisfied is the end user after utilizing the product or technology? And then the continuance usage intention is, will this person continue to use this technology or product after they have initially used it and confirm that it works, they're satisfied and that they, you know, deem that um, it is useful in their lives, right? So that's essentially the, the breakdown of that framework. The health belief model, on the other hand, assesses the perception of health-related risks and how that influences expected behavioral outcomes. Example, using contactless payment methods in lieu of traditional payment methods. So it is also looking at a few different dimensions. So perceived health risk consists of two dimensions, perceived susceptibility to disease and perceived seriousness of disease. So essentially what this all means is that people make decisions 
related to their health based on the perceived susceptibility to a particular disease and this perceived risk of a certain disease. So, you know, for instance, a person can perceive their own risk of, say, contracting COVID-19 and getting really sick from COVID-19 and leverage that perceived risk or those perceived risks and make a decision related to their health based on that, right? Something that would support the mitigation of said risk. So as I gave that example before, you know, it might be something that would drive somebody to use contactless technology over cash or chip or the swipe of a credit card or debit card, right? So there's a few different factors there. And the study here actually has 10 initial hypotheses based on this framework, based on the expectation confirmation theory and the health belief model. Out of the 10 original postulated hypotheses, nine of them were actually supported by the data of the study, which I think is pretty remarkable. And you know, that does demonstrate the credibility of the model and the value of the model at, at predicting these behaviors and these changes in behaviors based on these factors. So there is definitely significance in which hypotheses were supported versus the one that was not supported. So let me just do a quick rundown of these different hypotheses. So H1, confirmation will have a positive impact on perceived usefulness. Someone having their expectations met with the contactless payment technology did show a positive trend with perceived usefulness. So people who had their expectations met with what they perceived of contactless technology was more likely to reinforce the belief that it is useful in their lives. H2, confirmation will have a positive impact on satisfaction. So once again, their initial expectations positively reinforce their satisfaction with the contactless technology. H3 and H4 are related to perceived usefulness. Perceived usefulness also had positive effects on both satisfaction and continuance usage intention. So if somebody found contactless technologies useful, they were more likely to have a positive sense of satisfaction as well as a positive correlation, an increase, if you will, in their continued usage of the technology. H5 gets into the health belief model with perceived susceptibility. It says that perceived susceptibility will have a positive impact on perceived usefulness. So the more somebody felt that they were susceptible to COVID-19, the more likely that they found contactless payment technology useful. H7 was also supported. Perceived susceptibility will have a positive impact on continuance usage intention. So the more somebody once again thought that they would be susceptible to COVID-19 infection, that led them to continue using the contactless payment technology in a positive correlation. H8 and H9 are both related to perceived seriousness of the disease, in this case COVID-19. Both of these hypotheses show that perceived seriousness of the disease will have a positive impact on both perceived usefulness as well as continuance usage intention. So similar to perceived susceptibility, if somebody perceives that they're at greater risk for a serious infection of COVID-19, they are more likely to both perceive the contactless technology as useful and also to continue using it. The final hypothesis that was supported by this study was satisfaction. H10, satisfaction will have a positive impact on continuance usage intention. This basically means that people who are satisfied with contactless technology were more likely to continue using it. So all of these things, all nine of the hypotheses I just mentioned were supported by the data of the study, which is incredible. The one hypothesis that was not supported was H6. And I get, again, as I mentioned before, this is significant because the one hypothesis that was not supported is that perceived susceptibility will have a positive impact on satisfaction. Basically, what that translates to is that just because somebody perceives themselves as susceptible to a COVID-19 infection does not imply that they are more satisfied in using the contactless payment technology. That really stood out to me, Steeps, because it really paints a picture for me and it really tells a story. 
What it's saying is that when people's expectations of contactless payment technology are met, that does have a positive correlation with how they perceive the usefulness of it, how they are satisfied by it, and in return, that perceived usefulness will positively impact, again, the satisfaction, but also their continued use of the contactless payment technology. And that's from the expectation confirmation theory. From a health belief model perspective, if an individual perceives themselves of being at risk to a COVID-19 infection and a serious COVID-19 infection, they are also more likely to perceive contactless payment technology as useful as well as continuing to use the technology into the future. However, the perceived susceptibility metric did not have a positive correlation with satisfaction. Why? Because people aren't necessarily satisfied by having to take measures to protect their health. It's the same thing with wearing masks, social distancing, working remote. I think that a lot of people were frustrated throughout the pandemic on all of these measures at one point or another. You know, I mean, at least a lot of people were, right? Because some people really miss seeing friends and family and coworkers in person. Some people didn't like the awkward spacing of six feet in a line that really spread everything out. Some people didn't want to wear a mask, or I should say a lot of people. But for this example, let's just say, you know, there were people that didn't want to wear their masks for whatever reason, right? Whether it was during a long eight-hour shift or at a grocery store or at a public event. But these are all safety measures that we took during the pandemic to keep ourselves safe because we also, in a way, not only do we listen to the credible experts, the scientists, the healthcare professionals, but we also seek to protect our own health. And we kind of apply this health belief model in different ways in our own lives. And in the pandemic, our perceived risk of an infection and a serious infection of COVID-19 did drive these behaviors for us. It did positively influence mask wearing. It did positively influence social distancing, all these measures. And I think it's clearly seen just by the psychology of people in the United States of America, but across the world. And yes, I do understand that there are anti-maskers and people that were against these measures, but they were in the minority for the most part. But yeah, so basically behavior of adopting and continuing to use contactless payment technology is reinforced by how valuable it is intrinsically, as well as how it can perceptually reduce our risk of contracting disease or developing serious disease. But from a health belief model standpoint, your satisfaction does not increase just because you adopt contactless. You adopt contactless because you're trying to protect yourself, protect your family, protect others. You're trying not to contract COVID-19 or become severely ill from COVID-19. Um, whereas if you intrinsically think that contactless payment technology is valuable, like its usefulness or how it meets your expectations, those are things that will drive your satisfaction. Your satisfaction, in turn, will positively reinforce you continuing to use the contactless payment technology. But essentially, what this study proved is that when we make a decision solely for our health, or that's primarily for our health, we're not necessarily satisfied by it. We just did it because we're trying to lower our risk of disease and serious disease at that. It's it's human nature, essentially. So I thought those were all great points. Again, I know this study had some limitations, but I think overall it was a great thing to look into here. What this all boils down to, Steves, is that the integrated expectation, confirmation, and health belief model can indeed be used to explain and predict the adoption and continued usage of contactless payment technologies during the COVID-19 pandemic. Great. So with that study in the books, I did want to turn the focus to the second study I wanted to look at, which is more on the focus of telehealth. So this study is titled Opportunities and Challenges for Contactless Healthcare Services in the Post-COVID-19 Era. So the first thing I wanted to highlight from the study is that now that we're in the quote-unquote contactless age, there actually have been new terms that have been coined in the service and marketing field to describe the level of touch, if you will, of a certain service or how it's interacting with the consumer. 
So there's untacked, which means no contact, ontacked, which means contact through online media, intact, which means interactive contact, but not face-to-face, -face, and digitact, which means digital contact or digital face-to-face. So no contact would be essentially like Amazon delivering a package to your front door and then you go out and get it after they've left. Ontact would be some kind of contact through online media like filling out a form on a website or place, let's just say like placing an online order for food or like a retail experience. Intact, an example of that would be something like maybe a chatbot or something. It's not face to face, but you're interacting with somebody else through the internet. Digitact would be like Zoom or again, like something where you're you're making that digital face-to-face -face contact, um, FaceTime, things like that. So again, the technology has already evolved rapidly enough to this point where within service and marketing, we're literally having to coin new terms because the landscape of making contact with potential customers and providing services has been fundamentally altered by the pandemic and the advent of these new technologies. Also, as I mentioned previously at the top of the episode, production and logistics disruptions are being experienced across global supply chains. And this is happening in a variety of industries, Steeps. Supply chains do need to become less risky, but it will be at the cost of maximum efficiency example being lean manufacturing and i can get into a whole nother episode about that steeps about how the supply chain um, approach you know could fundamentally change due to COVID 19 because for years manufacturers have been using lean manufacturing which means that products are only being made if they are being pulled to market a car manufacturer is only going to make so many cars if they're actually being demanded in the market but obviously once COVID happened and demand kind of plummeted for some time whole supply chains shut down which just completely ravaged like just about every industry on the planet again while it's not as efficient to say move away from lean manufacturing and all that it could in fact you know other practices could stabilize the supply chain that's all the study is saying another interesting part from the study is that reshoring actually has occurred recently so that organizations can exert a greater control over their supply chain operations and mitigate the risk associated with global disruptions like the COVID-19 lockdowns. That was another major risk. So like on one hand, lean manufacturing kind of screwed everyone over because like as soon as consumers stopped demanding, we stopped making. We stopped putting the products on the shelves because they weren't being pulled to the shelves, right? Because of that, everything had to shut down and it takes time to restart. I've, I've mentioned this on previous episodes as well. We might need to become a little bit more of a push supply chain with some pull, but maybe not as much pull as before. In addition to that, a lot of organizations have started reshoring operations within their supply chain because, again, when COVID-19 hit, there were lockdowns across the globe. There were you know, trade restrictions, travel restrictions. All kinds of things were just blown up on the global economic scale. And now a lot of companies view it safer to actually have some supply chain operations within their own home country, despite it being potentially more expensive and everything like that. It is easier to control. Big data and emerging technologies, kind of like contactless, as we mentioned, must be leveraged to enhance future supply chain operations. I don't think there's any other way to say it, but... As, as I've already mentioned, the traditional means of business has evolved since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and will continue to do so. It will never be what it was before. Contactless healthcare services are one of those things that just like how the supply chain has to be reinvented, just like contactless payment technologies have been increasingly implemented, contactless healthcare services are becoming the new normal and they are here to stay. In this study that I am walking you through steeps does highlight some key points as to why that trend is continuing to gain momentum smart and personalized information and communications technology are being widely adopted in healthcare to support contactless healthcare services new technologies are emerging to support diagnostics patient management and overall operations 
There still are unique opportunities and challenges, however, that will be present with contactless healthcare services moving forward. Here's a really impactful quote from this study. According to a report by WHO, 2020A, more than a half of the countries surveyed, 53% were found to have partially or completely discontinued their regular healthcare services for hypertension, diabetes, and diabetes-related complications, cancer, and cardiovascular emergencies due to COVID-19. Moreover, the study also showed that nearly 63% of the countries discontinued rehabilitation healthcare services further highlighting how traditional face-to-face healthcare has been deeply affected by COVID-19. And I do think that a lot of people, for, for a lot of people, this probably hits home because elective procedures were essentially put on the back burner when COVID-19 hit. Because of course, as we all know, hospitals and the healthcare industry as a whole completely shifted overnight its focus to treating COVID-19, trying to prevent infections and trying to treat those who had been infected and try to get them back to health, right? Try to get them back to good health, but it didn't always work. I mean, across the United States and across the world, like ICU beds were being completely utilized or at a lot of, in a lot of instances overutilized. Staff was pretty much at a breaking point Everybody was like all hands on deck in healthcare, supporting the ICU, supporting COVID-19 intensive care patients, patients being put on ventilators left and right, trying to be prescribed antiviral treatments once those became available. A lot of work went into mitigating the COVID-19 pandemic and trying to flatten the curve and trying to you know, lessen the burden on our healthcare systems. And as a result, a lot of those elective procedures a lot of those other complications or conditions kind of got put aside for the moment. And it really did have some ramifications on society. But moreover, again, it kind of demonstrated how this new wave of like contactless technology was going to have some kind of impact on, you know, preventative care and, you know, managing one's health because there's some services that typically would have been treated using traditional face-to-face methods were now disrupted. And now we had to find new ways to get these patients in, get them cared for, and keep them healthy. Here's an interesting point. Telemedicine service utilization rose from 11% to 46% in the United States during the pandemic. Telemedicine adoption by physicians and healthcare organizations increased by a factor of 50 to 175. The University of Stanford, in fact, observed 1,000 virtual visits in February 2020, compared to between 3,000 to 3,500 on a peak day in April 2020. At the same time, 73% of outpatients received telehealth care. So this, in a nutshell, describes the rapid shift from traditional face-to-face medicine in healthcare to telehealth and telemedicine because seemingly overnight we went from a very low utilization of telehealth and telemedicine to pretty much almost half and in some cases more than half utilizing you know some form of contactless healthcare services here's a financial number to sip on In 2019, the global telemedicine market was estimated at 45.5 billion US dollars. This number, however, is expected to rise to 175.5 billion US dollars by the year 2026. The factors which will drive this growth? Well, those are the continued spread of COVID-19, the increasing prevalence of chronic diseases, a growing number of smartphone users, technological advances related to mobile phones and the internet, much like what's driving contactless payment technology adoption, greater need for cost savings in healthcare delivery and long waiting time in hospitals for disease treatment in 2026. And I think one thing that you'll see that kind of goes with contactless healthcare services like bread and butter is a a greater emphasis and focus on preventative care. So really being able to leverage telehealth and telemedicine to prevent people from being at risk to contract a disease like COVID-19 or to have severe disease with COVID. 
telemedicine is shaping up to be an effective healthcare delivery method in the future as it has been proven in its efficacy during the COVID-19 pandemic. It is both resilient and flexible to many disruptors while adapting as technology continues to change. So again, what we kind of see throughout this whole study on telehealth and telemedicine is that there's kind of the whole pre-pandemic state where telehealth and telemedicine made up a very small sliver of the services provided in the healthcare industry. Then COVID happens and it, it pretty much pushed everybody to these contactless methods, including telehealth and telemedicine. And now we're seeing widespread adoption. Like just about any primary care facility, any hospital you go to likely will have some form of virtual visits, patient portal where you can log in and see your information online, interact with your doctor using your webcam or using some kind of like instant messaging, things like that, um, where you can get in touch with your doctor and have quality care. You could receive quality care from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to physically be at the facility, right? You don't have to be at the doctor's office. You don't have to be in the ER, like you can be at home in some cases, especially if it's preventative care, right? If you don't need to physically get any work done, like, you know, a blood draw or, a, a, you know, a test or anything like that, anything that can be done from the comfort of your own home can be done so. There's even tests that can be done at home. Like, I mean, take example, the COVID-19 rapid tests. These are things that have just become commonplace in homes throughout America and a lot of parts of the world with the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, the healthcare landscape has changed drastically, and we have seen this major shift of, again, people feeling safe and secure in their own spaces. People with the COVID-19 pandemic were shocked at just how quickly their lives were turned upside down. And I think people feel a lot of security in the fact that they can talk to their doctor and they can receive care virtually. They don't have to physically go into the office and potentially be exposed or anything like that, especially if they don't have to. And the focus really with telehealth and telemedicine is on providing any services that can be delivered remotely, remotely. And to really focus on preventing the onset of serious disease in patients to keep them out of hospitals, to keep them out of doctor's offices where it's otherwise needed. And just like with contactless payment technologies, yes, I do understand that the pandemic is kind of waning and things are kind of adjusting to this new normal where it feels like we're in a post-pandemic era, but we're still seeing, just like with contactless payments, we're still seeing a prevalence of virtual care being offered to patients because the technology is here. It's readily available. It's making lives a lot easier and there's no reason to fully return to what the old normal was. I mean, think about it too, Steeps, in, in the world of work from home. I, I know I have a whole episode about working from home already, but when the pandemic first started, a lot of companies panicked because especially a lot of white collar organizations that weren't like, you know, like any, any white collar organization where the employees didn't have to actually physically interact with products or physically conduct services, we saw overnight companies adapt with the COVID-19 pandemic and really virtualize their operations, make things remote. A lot of companies provided laptops to their employees for the first time ever, let them have productivity allowances for equipment to support their work from home efforts, to build a home office, to you know, eventually reach the point where things are, where, where we are now, where things are kind of back to normal in a way, like not really, but at least we're kind of opening things back up again, right? And even with that happening, the office is optional, Steeps, like it really is. The office is optional. So it, it's one of those things where, you know, contactless technologies have impacted our lives in many different ways, but it's here to say it, it was really pushed onto us because of a great need. COVID-19 pandemic hits. We have the technology to address the problem that is being together and spreading disease and being at risk of contracting disease, potentially serious disease, right? So 
when there is an availability of technology to satisfy a need, in this case contactless technology, it was there to fill that void. It was there to help provide support, to provide a safety net, a sense of security for people when they needed it most, when they needed to feel like that they wanted to still be able to go to their local restaurant and pick up an order for dinner curbside, when they wanted to be able to go to a store and pay for a product without actually having to physically interact with the point of sale system, when they wanted to be able to speak to their doctor but didn't want to risk going into the doctor's office because there might be a COVID positive patient there, all the way to working. And, and when you realize that you don't have to physically interact with your coworkers and everything could be done through a laptop, and you could still hear each other by being on Zoom calls or Teams calls and sending emails. You know, it, it just, it was a no-brainer. And again, we had the technology, the technology was already here, and we just enhanced it and implemented it. It wasn't like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, contactless payments, and telehealth didn't exist at all by the time we reached 2020 and the pandemic really started to hit home for everybody, it was already here. We were just pushed sooner into the contactless age. It was already upon us. The contactless age was always going to be here, but it was really just pushed upon us because of these circumstances. And it will continue to be here because technology will continue to evolve and uh, it, it will continue to bring positive satisfaction to all of our lives. I think that's you know something I wanna kinda close out with here. Again, I know that there's some limitations with these studies. I understand that there's a limited scope in terms of what was being analyzed. I understand that, at least in the case of the telehealth study, that there are more contactless healthcare services that can be studied in the future, ones that weren't included as part of this study. And we don't really know when post-pandemic is. Like, when does it end? Like, I, I've touched on this before. We don't really know when the pandemic will be over. It's, it's kind of a gray area. But what we do know is that all of these technologies do support us even in a post-pandemic world because they continue to add value to our lives as we can kind of really just take all these things in from the comfort of our own homes, right? You know, one thing I even mentioned that was really prevalent during the pandemic was an increase in food delivery. DoorDash, Grubhub, Postmates, all those things really gained a lot of traction during the pandemic as well. And while some things have gone back to normal, while we've stopped distancing as much and we've stopped having as many Zoom calls and we've kind of started getting together physically again and collaborating again and, and we've taken the masks off in some instances, at least I've observed firsthand that all of these contactless technologies have still hung around and they are continuing to grow and influence because they are adding other value besides the onset of the pandemic. But it will be interesting to watch these trends evolve. And as technology continues to be developed, who knows where the future will take us in the world of remaining contactless. Thanks for listening about Contactless. Check out the description of this episode for the resources I referenced on this topic. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed content. As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened.